Hey, yo, welcome everyone to episode 84 of Today in the Scene. I'm Joe with the Indie Arcade Wave, and I just want to say thank you for checking us out. If you like what we're doing here at Indie Arcade Wave, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and we'll just keep the videos coming for you. So this week I want to touch on Midwest Gaming Classic again. We interviewed Dan oh, a while ago. It was episode 45, and this was a really cool interview because Midwest Gaming Classic holds a special place in my heart and a lot of the indie guys as well. Um, it's where we first met Tony from Death Ball, Dan from DSM Arcade, Shane and Dave from Cosmotrons. And it's just such a cool environment. So I guess to kick everything off, I'm going to introduce Dan. Um, this is just a, some clips from the last video. He's going to talk about kind of how they got started, him and his co-owner. So we're going to start off with a video of Dan talking about who he is, why he's qualified to run this show as well as kind of how MGC started to come together. Sure. My name's Dan Lucen, and um, <laughs> am I on video? You are on video. Okay, perfect, because uh, then I will introduce myself by saying I was the September 1999 Chuck E. Cheese Team Member of the Year, or sorry, Team <laughs> Member of the Month, Star StarCast member, and therefore I decided that I should run a convention. That's not actually how it worked. Um, I just happened to have that sitting here, so why not? Uh, my actual background is that Gary and I have been gamers for... Uh, life. We've known each other for a long time. Gary is the other co-founder of the show, as well as there being literally about a thousand volunteers that help with the show. And um, we have always enjoyed doing stuff together. And we very early on said, hey, we'd like to start a game company together. And so our original goal was to run a game company. And um, <laughs> when we, after we started that, we went to a convention called the Atari Jaguar Festival. And we had a lot of fun. And Jaguar Festival was unique because it was a traveling show. So in 1999, we went to it in Rochester, Minnesota. In the year 2000, I forget where it was. I think it might have been in New York or something like that. In 2001, Gary and I said, hey, we'd be happy to host this. And so we had um, the community said, like, yeah, you know what? No one else is stepping up to host this this year. We'd love to have you host it. And so we hosted it in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We drew around 100 people to um i actually have it sitting here right now to jag fest see you sometimes you get the props i, I didn't actually set up the props today but here we go this is an original <laughs> jag fest 2k1 shirt um and uh we wow this is my size um we uh we set up the show and we held it and we held, we drew about 100 people and what was really unique about the Jagfest show or Atari Jaguar Festival as it sounds a little bit more appropriate to say um was that it was a show that really drew a community together so the Atari Jaguar as a console was not the most popular console in the world believe it or not and so um it was one of the first consoles that really drew a kind of like grassroots little community around it that just loved it and it wasn't many people but there was a couple hundred of us that would interact on this message board and so jagfest was a way that we could get together in the real world and have fun and so when gary and i hosted it we said we want to expand this a little bit and you know get to meet other people and what was great was that we attracted some people from around town who had seen flyers for it and said i want to show up and see what this atari jaguar festival is because you can't put jagfest on flyer um and we also had people from all over the country and world actually come in for this, including three people from Japan who came to the show. And we had so much fun holding it. Gary and I were like, this was great. Um, we were the only people that had done 
the show that year. So we said, you know what, we're, we're going to put this out there for the community. We loved running this. If you would like us to run it again, we'd be happy to. Otherwise, this was so much fun. We're going to run our own thing next year. And um, the community decided that they wanted to keep the, the show moving, which was great. And uh, we held a contest to name the show. And uh, Ben Heckendorn, now known as Ben Heck, um, one of the internet famous hackers, if you will, uh, before he was famous, uh, suggested the name Midwest Classic which is what we did for two years before we added the word gaming to uh, try to better inform people as what it was because Midwest Classic was like a basketball and soccer tournament that was also in the area. And um, we didn't want to field any more emails about like, when is the basketball tournament happening? And we'd be like, I have no idea. So now we're the Midwest Gaming Classic, which we sometimes get casino emails and because there's some Midwest gaming casino. Um, but uh you know, it's been kind of going on ever since. And basically we took the same concept of taking Jagfest where we had a community come together and we've basically said to every community, if you want to have this as a home, we want to show you guys off. We don't just want the show to be the Sega show. We want the show to be the show where if, you know, and Sega is a bad example, but let's say the Microsoft show. We don't want this to be the show where we just bend over backwards to have Microsoft in. We want this to be a show where if Microsoft wants to come in, great but we want them to be on an even level with the independents that are making a game for steam or something like that and to be able to show everybody more or less um two people at the same rate um gary and i do i have it sitting around here i don't know where it is we started by making these i wish i could hold one up to show it i'm, I'm out of props apparently <laughs> um but we started by making these crummy atari jaguar joysticks um and like they were fine but they weren't anything special, but we were really passionate about the project and we really enjoyed making it. And so we, we lived for like Jagfest where we could show off our joystick and have people play it and see our passion. And so that's what it's all about to us is finding ways that we can get people to share in that passion. And what's nice about the show now is that last time that we held it 2019 because of COVID um, we drew about 15,000 people. And at this point we, it's not just the little companies that bring, you know, joysticks that they've made in their basement with a drill like Gary and I did. We have some of that. We also have the big companies. So, you know, on the arcade side of it, we've had Raw Thrills has been a big supporter of the show and Stern Pinball and all the pinball companies and stuff like that. But we still take the time to make sure that we can have space for everybody to come in and show off what they've got, because that's to us kind of the key to it all. So that was Dan Lucen. He basically is the face of the show. His partner is also in there with him doing more of the back end stuff, um, getting everything set up. And MGC is actually happening this weekend. So when this video goes live, uh, the 29th of April through the 1st of June will be the convention for 2022. And I want to touch on Atari Jaguar Fest, which is where they first kind of got the idea to run a convention. So I thought it was really cool that they loved this console that almost nobody has really heard about and ran this convention um, that one year. They wanted to do it again, but, you know, they wanted to keep the show moving. So they were like, let's just start our own convention. Let's just do it here in Milwaukee and just run it every year. And that's exactly what they did. And it went smoothly for a while. And then uh, they hit some road bumps and decided they didn't want to run it anymore. And the community in Milwaukee actually saved MGC. So you can thank a handful of people for saving it. And here's him telling the story of kind of why they had to run it again. Doing that and Ghost Store, by the way, subsidized 
thousands of dollars of Midwest Gaming Classic losses for many years. Um, Goat Store was still doing its thing. And so um, we started to have people the next year start contacting us and saying, hey, what happened to the Midwest Gaming Classic? I loved that show. And we couldn't just say, you were wrong. That show sucked. We're not doing it again. Because we were like, if we do that, they're not going to buy video games from Goat Store and we want them to do that. And so instead we were like, well, I tell you what, let's tell them that there was some major issues with it. Let's be pretty honest about it. And then let's come up with a list of impossible challenges that we will run the show again if they meet. And so we said things like, hey, um, we want to find a venue that's twice as big, but for half the cost. And we're like, yeah, there's no way they'll get that. And then we said, we want to find someone who will sit at the ticket booth all day and manage tickets. Because one of the issues was Gary and I had to be at tickets before this point. And so like, if there was a problem, one of us was there 24 seven and could not leave to actually solve the problem or else you'd let everybody in for free, which was another problem. Um, especially when you're losing money. Um, and so we also said, Oh, we need someone to manage all of our like flyering throughout town. And we need to make sure that we have at least 50 places with our flyers. We're like, no one's going to do that. And what was shocking. So we had probably about a dozen people that had emailed us. So I put them all on an email, CC'd them all and said, Hey, here's what we need. This is what it is. And we sent that email out. And what I did not know happened is that they took me and Gary off of it. And they started bouncing the email around between them. They divided up the tasks. And um, about two weeks later, I got, an e I got an email back that said, hey, we found a place that's twice as big for a quarter of the cost. Here's who's going to manage the uh, this. Here's the team that's going to do tickets. Here's the And it was like, I remember looking at Gary and being like, oh, crap, I think we got to run the show again. And he was like, yeah. And so we made the rule, which was if we ever lose money again, we're going to and we're going to not run this. And then we went on an amazing streak from 2006 to about 2015, where we never made more than two hundred dollars, but we never lost money, which when you think about it, it is always crazy because we were charging at one point twenty five dollars a ticket, which meant that we were within eight people of losing money more than one year. And we were just that close. And it was always like, OK, this is what it is. And like, um, we, so we kept doing that and doing that, but what happened, what, what, and the reason that I bring this up is that what really happened with that is that it proved to me two things. Number one, nobody comes to the Midwest Gaming Classic because of Dan Lucent. You come to the Midwest Gaming Classic because Dan Lucent can organize you into a place, but like people come to the Midwest Gaming Classic to see Galactic Battlegrounds. They come to the Midwest Gaming Classic to see Raw Thrills. They come to the Midwest Gaming Classic to see Stern. They come to the Midwest Gaming Classic to play pinball. They come to the Midwest Gaming Classic to play video games. They do not come to stare at me. And that's really important. There's no like, oh, I'm so great. And that's why people come to the show. And um, I've, I've consulted with a number of other show organizers. And that's one of the things that I always try to put into them because a lot of other shows are like, well, they let me tell you about why my show is great. In 1978, I bought my first pinball machine. And it's like, nobody cares. I do not care about your gaming history. I care about the collective, the community's gaming history. And so at least that's my belief. Maybe someone cares about my history in 1978. I wasn't born. So if you do, cool. Um, but that side of it, I think, is really important. And so knowing that, I know that the reason that people are coming is because people like you are willing to come to the show and to have a passion about something and to show that passion. And what I always point out that's amazing is that the people that saved the show for real in 2005, um, the, 
the team of people, it was a man and a woman who did tickets together, are now married. Um, they still come to the show every year and help with the show every year. Um, the guy who found the venue for us, that's actually JD. He still runs the museum to this date. Um, the people who did the promotions for us still help us with promotions, still help us do stuff um, every time. We basically have never lost a volunteer, and that's amazing. And like the other side of it that I always think is amazing is that um, a perfect for instance is that we've worked with, I, I now have three people that were salespeople for me that are now on staff of the show because I ended up liking the show so much that they were like, you know what, this is such a blast. I no longer work with the company that you work with, but can I come help you anyway? And it's like, really? Like, and those are the ones that are always so touching to me. Um, we had a manager that used to work at the Sheraton reach out to me uh, after we moved. And he said, you know, hey, I'm not there anymore. But, you know, if you need anything, tell me what it is. I'd be happy to come in and take tickets for you for a day or something like that. It was just like, okay. And so that's that to me is the real magic of the show is that you have all of these people who really understand, like, it's not about one individual. It's about the collective group. And then what really is the star of the show is that passion that you have for it. And so my passion is finding people that have passion and putting them together and making sure that they're all comfortable with their spot because, you know, the, everybody's passion is legit. Everybody's passion has meaning and nobody wants to hear that. Well, that person's, pa as I point to Skeletar, uh, that person's passion is more important than yours. And so I, I feel like that's probably the driving point of it is that we have to make sure that that's all balanced and in flux and, then it just kind of keeps going. And, you know, that, like I said, and that the real heart of the show is 100% not me or Gary. It's you. It's people that buy tickets because that allows us to bring, like, get money. It's people that come to me with ideas and say, hey, what about this? No, I think that's such a cool story that the community really came together to make it work. They found a hotel that would house it for way less. They found people to do ticketing. They found just all these different options to make it work from a financial matter as well as from an employee matter. And these employees stuck around for ever until now. I mean, Dan even talked about in that interview how there are executives from Six Flags that might still be doing ticketing just because they're so good at it. And you need someone that really knows what they're doing to be efficient and keep everything moving well. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about what MGC means to me. So MGC has become this convention that's kind of the we're going every sort of, every year sort of convention. And it was a really cool spot for us to show the idea of Galactic Battleground the first time we had the cabinet really ready to present to the public. And we got so much good feedback. We got to play with Eugene Jarvis. We got to play with Billy Mitchell. We got to play with a whole bunch of arcade legends. And it was so cool to see these people and see how down to earth they are and just really get their feedback. I mean, these guys shaped the arcade scene. You know, there, there are a lot of people that go to this convention that are that are big players in the arcade scene, the video game scene, and they kind of go incognito, try stuff out, let you know what they think. And you may not even know who was playing your game until after they played your game, which threw us for a loop a couple of times. We did find out that we played with some pretty big names and we were like, wow, that's, that's really awesome that they took the time to try the game and give us genuine feedback. And just getting to see everybody there that is an arcade or video game enthusiast, knowing the fact that they have all of these old consoles and they have all of these arcade games and stern pinballs there every year showing off the new stuff. 
And then they've got the vendor hall on the other side where you can buy like pretty much any classic video game you're looking for. You can probably find it there. Maybe not like the super, super rare ones, um, but they have some crazy stuff there. And it's just this huge, massive community of gamers and nerds that just love to be there and love to play these games, whether it be board games, arcade games, console games, um, or if you just really want to play Oregon Trail on the Apple too, you know, like that's an option. You can do that. And they have so much for everybody at this convention. It's just, it's a must go if you're in the Midwest. I think if you've got the time and you can make the trip to Milwaukee for the weekend, it's just, it's dumb of you not to go. So let's, let's just talk about what you can expect out of this year. And it's, it's very similar to what's been in the last couple of years. You've got the room with the arcade games. You've got Stern coming. Raw Thrills comes and brings some stuff. Um, you've got tons of fighting game tournaments if you're part of the fighting game community. Um, they've got designated board game times. You can play D&D. You can play a whole bunch of different games. Um, you can try out some new indie arcade games. Um, you can go and find some games you've been looking for for a long time for your classic collection. You can even sit in on speakers that get about an hour of time to talk about their experience in the industry and what they brought to the industry, what they think could change in the industry, give you kind of tips on getting in as an indie developer, things like that. There's there's so many things going on and it changes all the time. I think it's something that you you really need to go and check out and try for yourself. And I've got a ton of funny stories that Dan told and they were they were in the last video. The video is pretty long, so I just wanted to pick out a couple really funny stories and throw them in here, especially about the one about his mom. I absolutely love that story. It's hilarious. You gotta love moms. Everybody wants to see Dan's mom, but let's just throw it back to Dan for a little bit here so that we can see some of the stuff that he's experienced in his time of running the convention and just hear some of the funny stories he's been through. There's the time that my mom, bless her soul, um, she's awesome, by the way. She's, she's, you know, she's at home right now, I'm sure, not listening to this. But my mom, um, she, and it's my fault, but uh, she was doing pre-orders for us. And I was there, and it should take about five to ten seconds to do a pre-order. You go, beep, hi, here's a wristband, have fun. And so she was going, beep. So it says two tickets. Are there two people here? And they would go, yep. And she would go, okay. So then I'm going to give you two tickets. So how is your day going? And it was like, mom. So we had this issue where the pre-order line was sticking out about 100 feet into the rain. And so the big deal about pre-orders is supposed to be that you get to skip the line and go in quickly. Yeah. Pre-order line sticking out into the rain. The ticketing line where my mom was not at, people were walking in, buying their tickets and going right in. And so it was like, mom. So I got there and I, I mean, again, I cleared this up in a couple of minutes and how angry can I be at the woman? She gave me life, like whatever. I can't be too angry at her. And it's seriously her son that set her up for failure. Um, but so I got there and was just like, all right, here we go. Beep high, beep high, beep high. And like, you know, and it's, it's stuff like that. And the, the other side of it is that a lot of it is anticipating problems before they happen and trying to solve what those problems will be. So you don't have those problems. And, um, that was one of my big failures. That's really funny. I mean, you know, you're right. You got to love your mom, but some, sometimes she's just, they're too chatty. Yep. And that's, you, that's probably I mean, what was happening there. Great. And like, look, most of the time, anywhere else at our show, people want that interaction. 
They just don't want it when they are stuck not being able to go in the show because my mom, just like Dan Lucen is not the star of the show, my mom is Lynn Lucen. She is also not the star of the show. But what's funny is that there are a number of people that love seeing her. But so now we just are like, okay, cool. We want you to help with this. We just want you to help in a place. Like we usually have her do merchandise pickup, which does not have any type of that thing. So that if people want to come and chat with her for a while, which they do, they get to go do. And she like loves being at the show and she's super helpful. It's just that she doesn't have the, uh, it takes certain people to do ticketing. And like, <laughs> I will share that uh, we, I, I still have friends from the uh, themed entertainment industry and um, the people that run our ticketing now may or may not be executives at Six Flags um, to this day. What, one last story that I can say about like last year or two years ago, for instance, that was really unique is that I was talking with Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man from the WWF in the mid eighties. And it was fascinating because I was having this conversation with Ted and saying like, yeah, I think, I think you'd be a really good fit. And he was like, Dan, I've got to stop you because I'm going to be honest here. It's like, I didn't play any of the games with me in it. And I said, Ted, that makes total sense. If my job is wrestling, the last thing that I want to do is go home and do my job, but in a game for the rest of the night. I said, all that I want you to do is be honest about that. And um, so we actually put together a presentation with Ted DiBiase watching a lot of his appearances in many of his in many of the video games that the Million Dollar Man was featured in for the first time in many cases. And so figuring out stuff like that, that we could do that was, that's unique is like the key to the show. What can we do that's special? Now, there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on right before we go. And that's what it's like dealing with guests, logistics of MGC and expectations for MGC. I'm just going to throw up a couple snippets from the last interview of Dan talking about these things. So you can get an idea of what it's like to be behind the scenes and what it's like to run a convention. Because I don't think I've told this story before, but this is kind of a uh, a perfect encapsulation of some of the dumb stuff that you have to deal with. And again, the whole key when you're organizing a convention is that you make it so that someone like you, for instance, who's presenting, does not see any of this. Because if you see this, if you can tell that there's a bunch of stuff going on, then it looks stupid. So the more of it that can be hidden, the better. But so a perfect example is that... Um, when I used to work for Six Flags, I was an efficiency specialist. That was like my role there. So I, it's funny, like when you talk to me about stuff, I'm always, I will always come back to like, well, what's the capacity? Like when we're, when we're building arcade boards, it's like, oh, look, a four player arcade board. We want that more than the two player one, because this can have four players of capacity on it. Um, and uh, so <laughs> I will simply say that at one, at a location, um, we had an issue where the person who was supposed to be the, the locations person that was supposed to be in charge of capacity and stuff like that, um, clearly knew less about capacity than what I did and was not sharing any information with me. And at one point we were trying to get people into the show and there was a bottleneck before this point. I'm being vague because I don't want to overly call out anybody by name because I will also say that I fully understand that this wasn't done on purpose. This wasn't necessarily this person being malicious. This was just this, per and I, I, I kind of want to say this was just this person being incompetent, but I don't think that they were actually being incompetent. It's just that they weren't used to operating with a show like what we are. And we as a show really because of our background, because of how long we've done this, we really know a lot of like, we've learned this is how you do this and this is how you move people and this is how you do this. And again, I was literally flown around the country for Six Flags to do this at the different Six Flags parks. So like, 
I have some real background in moving people. Um, we, uh, he, we were at a point where we could not, we had a huge bottleneck and we couldn't sell people tickets because he wouldn't let people through this bottleneck. And so I had to go to him and just be like, how are we fixing this? And, um, it was infuriating me because it took me standing in the middle of the people and sending them up how he had said that he wanted it to be done, but not how he was doing it. And then whenever he would call me and say, oh, you're doing it wrong, I'd be like, nope, this is what you told me and this is what I'm doing. And so it's little stuff like that. And like the key is, is that, you know, if it takes you an extra 10 minutes to get into the show, you probably won't really notice that. But you still want that to be fixed and as smooth as possible because people are going to remember the beginning and the end. And as long as it's moving, it's okay. But the issue that we had at that point was that there was no movement. There was just a keep everybody there. And then we were letting up groups of 10. But the issue that we had was that um, the people that had pre-orders would just leave that side of it empty. And so the big, the big problem was they were not letting us get people out of line that either had pre-orders or who cat who had cash so they could skip the line like they should have. And so, and yeah, there, I mean, and there's a million different things like that. Now that's pretty much everything we got for you this week. I'm going to throw the links to the social medias for Midwest gaming classic down below. If you're seeing this video and you're not in Milwaukee, probably missed mgc this year unless you're close and you want to make the trip but it will be back next year as long as they stay in the green as he said as long as they made more money than they lot than they spent they're good so um thanks for checking us out if you like what we're doing here at indie arcade wave don't forget to like share and subscribe and until next time peace